0: You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Mark Maslin, author of How to Save Our Planet, The Facts. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Did you know that we move more rock and sediment than all the natural processes put together? We also have created enough concrete already to cover the whole world in a layer that's two millimeters thick, and that includes the ocean. We have also created and make something like 300 Hundred million tons of plastic every single year, which we know ends up in our rivers, it ends up in our oceans, and we've also found that microplastics have been found in human blood. So this is the impact we're having all around the world. We've also cut down 3 trillion trees. That's half the trees on the planet. We have doubled carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We've increased methane by about 150%, which has led to a warming of the planet of about 1.2 degrees Celsius. And if you weigh the land mammals, 30% of that weight is us humans. There's 8 billion of us, and I have to say a few of us, could lose a few pounds. But 67% of that weight is our livestock, and just 3% is those wild animals. So in less than 5,000 years, we've gone from 99% being wild animals to less than 3%. That's how much impact us humans have had on the planet. We have created more stuff than there is life on the planet. And this includes things like concrete, metals, asphalt. We do not reuse it. Again, madness. When we knock down a building, do we reuse the material? No, we literally just throw the stuff away in landfill and just hope somehow it just disappears. Whereas what we should be doing is that everything that we make, we should then be able to recycle or reuse as often as possible. Again, I get frustrated by we have to have a new mobile phone every year. But again, we could create phones that you could just open them up and upgrade the camera upgrade the battery. You don't have to throw the whole lot away. And the other thing that frustrates me is we need to design in the recyclability. Extracting the metals from the phone and from our computers on everything is really difficult. We just have to make sure that it's much easier so we can just grab all of those metals and all the essentials and put it back into the next item or equipment a lot of commentators go, we can't afford to go net zero. It's going to cost us too much money. But it's interesting because when the Downdraw project put it all together and actually started costing it out, we could actually save something like $46 trillion by going net zero. Now, the interesting thing about that is that's because we spend a huge amount of subsidies on fossil fuels, which we don't need. We can actually use that taxpayer's money better. Renewables are cheaper, safer, and... And more long-lasting and also the health outcome. We know that 11 million people around the world die prematurely from fossil fuel air pollution. Now, that would be greatly reduced if we actually move to a net zero economy and therefore all those health costs. Because people forget in a lot of countries, the biggest cost in government is supporting people's health care. And so therefore anything we can do to reduce that gives us a win-win. So again, frustratingly, going net zero is actually very 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 cost effective. I also talk to lots and lots of companies and help them on their net zero transition. And as soon as they start the ball rolling, they start saving money, their employees are happier, and guess what? They get a load more clients who are really happy with them food. So this seems to be a battleground. But if everybody in the world moved to a more plant-based diet, and by that I don't necessarily mean giving up meat completely, if we did that we would half the amount of land that we use because animal farming uses a huge amount of land. So to produce the same amount of protein, again beef uses 20 times the amount of land than we would from beans that produce the same amount of protein. And so I think that's really important. But it's also about when we move that diet to more plant-based, people become healthier. Moving away from processed meat, particularly red meat, which causes lots of ill health, particularly with our unhealthy Western diet, we can then make people healthier. We reduce the amount of land that we use for agriculture, which frees up the land that we can reforest or rewild it. It also halves the amount of CO2 emissions into the atmosphere and halves the water we use in the agricultural cycle. So it's a win-win. The amount of abuse that I get on Twitter or other social mediums when I say, look, guys, just reduce your meat intake. Perhaps have it once a week and then perhaps once a month. Make yourself healthier. And it's almost like I'm taking away their rights to eat meat. Everybody should shift away from meat to a more plant-based diet. Well, I also think how we look at health. So how rich a country is, up to a certain point, increases the longevity of people. But you get to a certain GDP, and it's about $10,000 per person. And then the health outcomes after that are not related to the wealth of the country. So, for example, the USA, which has a huge... GDP per person has longevity, which is something like six years shorter than the average European. And so for me, there is something that we are missing. Again, if we look at those diseases, a lot of them are information. But if we look at the things that kill people in the developed world, strokes, heart attacks, and cancers, all of which have a particular particular response to high levels of social stress, when you are in an unequal society, you are just trying to feed yourself and your kids, etc., and get through the day, then that level of stress is going to play havoc with your health. And we need to step back and go, hang on, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to actually be an ultra social creature? And do we need to actually create all this stress? Why don't we rethink? Because it's not like we have a poverty in terms of money. I'm in the UK. I'm in the sixth richest country in the world, but I still have extreme poverty in my country. I have people having to go to food banks even though they're working because they don't have enough money to buy food. And this seems to be for me madness when there is money everywhere, but it's just not shared. So the brilliant ecologist E.O. Wilson suggested that we had to think about the world as a place that we share. And he said, look, we need a lot of stuff. And we really do. So why don't we actually say we leave half the earth to the natural environment and allow all the natural processes that we need. And then we use the other half. And it's a really interesting concept because it says to economists and it says to the capitalist system, you cannot use all of it. You have to actually leave half of it to allow the systems to actually produce our clean air, to produce the water, to produce the rainfall. And what's very interesting is that at the moment, there is this movement of people to cities, cities, And so we are actually depopulating the rural areas. So the very strange thing is that the Earth is becoming a wilder place. And therefore, there are so many opportunities where people are leaving to go to the big cities, where we can rewild, we can reforest, and we can bring back nature to actually keep those services that we absolutely rely on. So that one is a good one to actually push on to economists. I also would stress that the economic models that were developed by the Chicago School in the 1970s that said, okay, capitalism has been doing really well. What we need to do is take the training wheels off, get rid of regulation, let's just go for it, because they honestly believe this would lift everybody out of poverty and just do all the great stuff that's been happening since the Second World War, but do it quicker. That didn't happen. What happened was, if you don't regulate markets, if you don't regulate systems, suddenly all of that money goes to the top. So I'm going to give you an example of how skewed our global system is. There are currently 8 billionaires in the world who own the same wealth as the bottom 4 billion people. Let that settle in. 8 people, and they're all white males, have the same wealth as 4 People. That's what suggests that neoliberalism has not worked. Even the International Monetary Fund has actually stated publicly that the economic ideas and theories of the last generation have been a complete failure. So we need to go back to thinking about how we harness the markets. How do we control them to the point that they actually give out stuff to everybody and it's actually then positive reinforcement? Because we need the entrepreneur, we need the ideas, we need all this new technology to actually help us deal with the environmental crisis. And this then circles back to why I think universal basic income is a brilliant idea. So the idea is a lot of countries have lots of money. So what you do is you say every individual has the right to enough money to live. So it's basic income. Now, whether you take that up or not depends on your circumstances. But it means that if you want to be an entrepreneur, trust me, I've set up companies. I have no idea how people do it when they don't have another income. I'm very lucky as an academic. I have a salary so I can play, be an entrepreneur. Because most companies don't really take off, if they ever take off, for the first five years. So how do you feed yourself? How do you feed your family when you're desperately trying to work on your company 24-7? So universal basic income says, okay, guys, you go and play being entrepreneurs. And here, we'll make sure you have this money from the state that you can actually live. It means lots of other people, alternative people could become entrepreneurs, which is great. But it also means that if you become in the middle of your life and you suddenly go, oh, actually, my elderly parents need a lot of care. I'm going to step out of work and I'm going to look after them. Universal basic income is there to collect you and support you. You can then go and look after them. It also means that if you suddenly go, I'm going to set up a commune. I'm going to do art in my local community. I'm going to engage and teach. You can do those things. It also means at some point you can go, I'm going to go back to university. I missed out my chance because I had to go out to work. I'm now going to step back into university. So it gives people choices and opportunity. And the really interesting thing is when it has been trialed out around the world, you find that people don't actually misuse it. They do want to be active partners in society. They do lots of positive things. And actually, overall, saves a lot of money because everybody is mentally better off. And guess what? Healthier gets rid of all of that. There is no judgment. Anybody, the richest person in the world, if they fall on hard times, they can have universal basic income to basically get them back on the entrepreneurial track and then go for it. It gets rid of extreme poverty. It means that you have a dynamic group of citizens who are all doing their own thing. So again, it's one of those things that really would change all those desires. It also, of course, means that you don't need all this stuff because, again, that desire to keep up with your competitors and your neighbor. They've got a big BMW. Oh, I'm going to have to have a bigger Audi. That sort of thing disappears because at any point in time, you just go, okay, I can step out. I can do whatever I like. Actually, this is much more important than how many pennies I earn. How about opening the debate about degrowth? The idea that growth itself is good. And again, if we do any of these measures about human well-being, human longevity, human health, up to a certain level of economic growth, it all improves. Mainly through sanitation, through good health provision, through vaccinations and provision of high quality food. So that's great. And it's up to about $10,000 per person within a country. Beyond that, growth doesn't actually improve people's lives. What does, uh, and this is what, again, Mir was saying, it's governance. So you'll find that countries that have a lot less income per person than, say, the USA, have better healthcare systems, have better education systems have better longevity. Japan has a longevity which is something like 87 years on average and I think that's really important and we can see that at the microscopic level. So in the UK you can look at the health outcomes of different regions and we can see that there is a 18 year difference in longevity from the poorest part of the UK to the richest. It's the same country, it's the same air, It's the same government, but because of that poverty, there is, they're going to die 15 years younger than the very riches in society. And so therefore we have to start thinking whether growth and what is growth for. Now don't get me wrong. Okay, We need economic growth around the world because there are billions of people that need to be lifted out of extreme poverty. We need to be able to create vast amounts of energy to look after them. And hopefully that's going to be renewable, clean, safe energy and secure energy because they don't have to rely on foreign governments to provide them with fossil fuels. So that's important. We need to ensure that they have wealth to buy food. Because the interesting thing is we produce enough food to feed 11 billion people. There's only 8 billion people on the planet. And we know that 825 million people go to bed feeling hungry every night, even though there's enough food. And the reason being is because they do not have money to buy the food. So therefore, we need to deal with all of those. So yes, economic growth in particular areas. But when it comes to developed countries, economic growth in the US does nothing for the average person. It doesn't improve their health, doesn't improve their circumstances, doesn't improve their education. It just goes to the top 1%. So therefore, we need to think completely differently about economic growth. What is it for? Who does it service? And actually, do we think that certain countries have developed enough? We don't need any more growth. Therefore, can we actually think about degrowth for certain countries? And the thing is, everybody "Oh, that's terrible. No, because if you do it in the right way, health outcomes, longevity, education, everything goes up because you've got enough money. You just have to allocate it right. And other countries you bring up and you do it in the right way. So they decarbonize. They basically have a secure agriculture and secure energy systems. And you just basically balance out the world over the next 30 to 40 years. So individual level, I have some top tips about what we as individuals can do, because I'm aware that we all feel powerless. We are just individuals. There's 8 billion people out there. And we also know that some people have much more power and influence than, say, us as individuals do. But my top things are, one, talk about it. If you talk about climate change, if you talk about the political issues, if you talk about sustainability, guess what? The person next to you goes, oh, I'm so glad you're all worried about this too. We find that climate anxiety is a huge issue, particularly with the younger generations. And they should be worried. I'm worried. We are pushing the world to a limit to the point where catastrophes are already starting to happen. But again, if we talk about it with each other, that actually shares that burden, but it also empowers people. So I have seen massive companies, has about a 5 billion US dollar turnover. And in the middle of this company, a couple of people got together over the coffee table, drinking coffee. And somebody says, I'm really worried about this. And everybody else goes, oh, so are we. They go, oh, perhaps we can do something little. So they start doing some little things, et cetera, et cetera. And within five years, this company is winning all the awards from the carbon disclosure project. It's basically on the net zero transition target. And the people working for them are happy. They're making more money because of the new clients they're bringing in. And so that's the power of individuals. If you start to talk to other people, you'll find that most people think like you. And actually, you can do lots of little things that make you feel better but also have a little impact you put all those impacts together and that changes the world and on an individual level i would say look do some really simple things like look after yourself change your diet move to a more plant-based diet one that will have a huge effect on your food carbon footprint also have a great effect on your health and your well-being and then also you can do other things which is if you're able to then you can think about actually How do you change the way you move around? How do you get to work? How do you go on holiday? How do you actually buy stuff? And I have to say, this is the real key one, which is companies are scared of us because we have power and it's called our wallet. So if we decide, yeah, no, I'm sorry, I'm going to buy Tesla because I want a green car that's electric. I'm not going to buy any of these huge SUVs suddenly the whole market goes, ooh, look, we've now got a battery SUV. Not sure that actually it will ever work properly. But again, market forces. So if a whole generation goes, I'm sorry, I want the sustainability. I want slow fashion. I do not want all of this stuff. Then again, that's going to really change how companies operate because companies follow the money. They follow where they're going to be able to sell products. And so therefore, we can actually have a huge influence on that. And a really scary fact is about 10% of the global economy is currently in the green economy. That's about $10 trillion per year. So the green economy is all around us. It's growing massively. And therefore, we can just fuel that by making the right choices. Now, do we always get it right? No, because there's a lot of greenwashing out there. But If we all try, it will make a big, big difference. So my answers are three top things, which is talk to everybody about it, even if they don't want to hear about it, eat healthily and buy sustainably. I think that young people should understand our history. And I think this is incredibly important. So it's sometimes very difficult to talk to young people in the UK about relations with other countries because they don't have the history. They don't understand the colonial history. They don't understand where the British Empire slaughtered people or imposed draconian measures or actually had huge Impacts on different societies. And I think if you understand where your societies come from, with all the good and bad bits, you can then say, okay, now I understand where we are situated. I can understand where economics has come from. I understand that neoliberalism was an effort to try and lift everybody out of poverty, but it's failed. So for me, it is understanding where we've come from, understanding the struggles understanding why the poorest, vulnerable people and the Indigenous people are always at the front end of any conflict or any crisis, and therefore thinking about how do we actually deal with this current crisis in a way that those people are not adversely affected. For the first time in history, can we actually change history and go, right, we will protect the Indigenous, the vulnerable and the very poorest in society, at the front end of any conflict or any crisis, and therefore thinking about how do we actually deal with this current crisis in a way that those people are not adversely affected. For the first time in history, can we actually change history and go, right, we will protect the indigenous, the vulnerable, and the very poorest in society, and therefore, because we have actually read our history and learnt from it. Can we actually understand how to move on and not to repeat the mistakes of the past? We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.